What do the following things have to do with today's Feast of Pentecost? Navigating an ever-changing pandemic, reading a recent denominational racial audit report revealing nine dominant patterns of racism found within our denomination today, the imminent one-year anniversary of the murder of George Floyd this week, the ceasefire in the Middle East, suspending two weeks of violence and death in Gaza and Israel, working through a transition plan for our community that incorporates now both Trinity at home and gathered worship together, developing new opportunities for formation and for growing together in faith as a growing community, a continued transition of our music ministry, preparing to welcome a new staff member in July. Next week, we will be receiving the feasibility study we've worked on for six months, and then after that, reviewing the final draft of a 10-year vision that we've been working on for nearly three years. And then finally celebrating 45 new Trinity members welcomed home over this past year. What do all of these things have to do with the Feast of Pentecost? Any ideas? It's not a joke. There's no punchline at the end. No, it's just the list of some of the things that are swirling around in my head and my heart as I think about who we are and where we are as a community, as a progressive, inclusive, creative community of faith, as a growing community eager to reunite in ways that are both safe and life-giving, as members of a global community intent on growing in faith and in our capacity to love one another moving ever closer to becoming beloved community. It's a lot, isn't it? And I confess that there are days when all of this snowballs so easily for me and it feels overwhelming. How can we make a difference in the places where there is such violence and pain and confusion locally and far away? And then I remember, then I remember the power of the Holy Spirit the reminder that all of this is overwhelming and is unattainable if lodged in our egos and stuck in our minds as if the world's problems are ours alone to fix. This week has been a series of reminders of the need for spiritual disciplines, disciplines like surrender and humility, patience, silence, and resilience. None of it is easy for me, but all of it together leads us to the foot of the cross and to the birth of this thing called the church and this special day when we remember that birth. As I've been holding all of this this week, my prayer for this Pentecost sermon has been that God, perhaps described as my belief in revolutionary love, the life-changing love modeled by the life and teachings of Jesus, that this God would take up residence inside of me and point us together forward, embracing all that we are living through right now, offering one urgent and compelling message, and maybe even an invitation. <laughs> so here goes. 
Some call the celebration of Pentecost the birthday of the Christian church. And we point to the reading we just heard from the, uh, the book of Acts as our birth story, if you will. In Jerusalem, for the festival of Shavuot, or in Greek, Pentecost, the disciples were gathered together as they had been told to do by the resurrected Jesus. He was about to leave them for the very last time, and they were told to wait in Jerusalem and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit in the form of a powerful baptism, and then they would be sent out in Jesus' name to change the world. Episcopal priest Barbara Brown Taylor has a wonderful way of retelling this powerful story. Listen. On the day of Pentecost, God wanted to make sure that Jesus' friends were the inheritors of Jesus' breath, and it worked. There they were, all moping around, wondering what they were going to do without Jesus, when they heard a holy hurricane headed their way. Before any of them could defend themselves, that mighty wind had blown through the entire house, striking sparks that burst into flames above their heads, and they were filled up with it. Every one of them was filled to the gills with God's own breath. Then something clamped down on them, and the air came out of them in languages they did not even know that they knew. Like a room full of bagpipes all going at once, they set up such a racket that they drew a large crowd. People from all over the world who were in Jerusalem for the festival of Pentecost came leaning in the windows and pushing through the doors, surprised to hear someone speaking their own language so far from home. Parthians stuck their heads through the door, expecting to see other Parthians. And Libyans looked around for other Libyans. But what they saw instead were a bunch of Galileans, rural types from northern Israel, dressed in the equivalent of first century overalls. All of them going on and on about God's mighty acts, like a bunch of PhDs in Middle Eastern languages. And before the day was over, the church had grown from 120 to more than 3,000. Shy people became bold, scared people became gutsy, and lost people had found a sure sense of direction. Disciples who had not believed themselves capable of tying their own sandals without Jesus discovered abilities within themselves they never knew they had. When they opened their mouths to speak, they sounded like Jesus. When they laid their hands upon the sick, it was as if Jesus himself had touched them. In short order, they were doing things they had never seen anyone but him do, and there was no explanation for it, except that they had dared to inhale on the day of Pentecost. They had sucked in God's own breath, and they had been transformed by it. The Holy Spirit had entered into them the same way it had entered into Mary, the mother of Jesus, and for the same reason. It was time for God to be born again, not in one body this time, but in a body of believers who would receive the breath of life from their Lord and pass it on using their own bodies to distribute the gift. This is the story of the Holy Spirit. 
how God performed artificial resuscitation on a room full of well-intentioned bumblers, turning them into a force of what we might describe as revolutionary lovemakers that in the end changed the history of the world. So how does that modern telling of this very ancient story sit with us today at Trinity? Do we still believe in a God, in a force for good and a power of big love that will still act like this in the world and in us? Barbara Brown Taylor goes on to ask some questions that continue to pull at my heartstrings and maybe they do yours as well. She asks, do we still believe in a God who blows through closed doors and sets our heads on fire? Do we still believe in a God with the power to transform us, both as individuals and as a community? Or, she writes, have we come to some unspoken agreement that our God is pretty old and tired and may be willing to hear our prayers and petitions, but certainly not a God who we really expect to change our lives. Wow. That's it. That's what I hear and I need to hear this morning. That's for me where the rubber hits the road. That is the power and the purpose I would suggest of why this feast day is so, dare I say, damn important. (laughs) Is it still possible? to believe that God can and will do the same for us? Can God perform artificial resuscitation on us, a collection of well-intentioned bumblers, turning us into a force of revolutionary love so that we might, with the power of the Holy Spirit, be changed forever? And then through that radical transformation, follow the way of love ushering in beloved community. I believe we can with God's help. Rather than go back this morning to the litany of things I listed at the beginning, rattling around in my brain and my heart, I invite us to all think about our own lists and bring them here together, here to this moment. This moment of Pentecost when our ancient and sacred narrative reminds us of the necessity of a chaotic force in our lives how both imperative and uncomfortable it can be at times. This is that moment. I am absolutely sure of it. It seems that just about everywhere we look these days, if we can open our hearts to the wildness of the power of Holy Spirit, we are being pushed and pulled simultaneously into what I suspect is a wild dance. It is my hope and prayer that in these challenging times we continue to see and experience all of it, even the heartbreaking realities swirling around us, all of it as moments to embrace the power of Holy Spirit. In short, I believe we have entered a modern-day Pentecost. We too have been locked inside, physically and metaphorically for months and maybe even for years as the church. And I think that if we can release what I have come to see as kind of a death grip on control, I think that we are being called to crack open, to crack open for something new, something very ancient and something very powerfully new and relevant.
You see, Pentecost for me is less about a one-and-done story long ago and more about the potential of God's love in our lives every day to keep us moving forward, changing for good. I confess that that is rarely comfortable for me because there is so much right now that we cannot plan for or anticipate. We are working hard as a community to find our way back together in safe and new ways, incorporating both who we are as a faith community and who we are becoming. Our decisions to not yet come back for full weekend services have perhaps disappointed some of you. I understand that. And I am also so grateful that those who are disappointed can share that and those who are finding ways to stretch themselves with us are also sharing that as well. Every decision that we make today feels like a moment of Pentecost, a moment that is grounded in prayer and discernment. And your leadership is working hard to be faithful in all of those decisions. And we know that the church does not exist so much to conform to our individual preferences, but rather it is, when at its best, an institution that is often turned outward, responding to a drastically changing world with an ever-constant message of looking for ways to best share the transformative love of the good news of God in Christ. So today, as we do our best moving forward together, I am, albeit sometimes a bit reluctantly, grateful for this feast day of Pentecost as a reminder and an invitation. The former Dean of Grace Cathedral in San Francisco once said, only a fool would pray for the Holy Spirit to come. Only fools for Christ pray for that kind of disruption of life. He then went on to say, Holy Spirit seems to be most present at three spaces in our lives. In the moments that are unpredictable, in the places of greatest risk, and in those areas in our lives in which we have no control. Check, check, check. We can easily check all three of those boxes today. And that was also the place that those bumbling disciples found themselves in as they huddled together in a room filled with fear. And here we are now today, thousands of years later, still afraid at times, and I suggest in need of a Holy Spirit kick in the pants in order for us to help burst forth out of our locked places as well. My beloved friends, as the old spiritual says, this train is bound for glory, this train. Hop on, come on, let's go together. It will be a wild and exciting adventure. Stops along the way, unpredictable. Level of safety, too risky to tell. Length of our journey, God only knows. But fear not, we'll be together as we become fluent and speaking the language of revolutionary love in such an accessible way that when we too pour out into the street, everyone who hears us will understand exactly the words that we are speaking as if we are speaking in their language indeed. Happy Pentecost. May it be so.